coming up on this episode of Inside the Epicenter. Now, backing up a bit, where did the term Palestinian come from? Well, the term was uh, really comes from the Roman era, um, predating the life of Christ, when the Romans conquered this region. You know, everybody wants to conquer this region, Carl, right? You know your history. Everybody wants to rule the world. Um, maybe you can play a clip of that. And everybody wants to rule the Middle there East and Jerusalem in particular. But anyway, that's another show, uh, another series of shows. But the, but the Romans controlled this territory of the Holy Land for a long time. And the short version was they, they really hated the Jewish people in many ways, and they didn't want it being called Judea. Mm-hmm. Uh, they certainly didn't want it to be called Israel. It wasn't a sovereign state at that point, mm-hmm. but they didn't even want it to be called Judea. Uh, and so they called it, they decided, well, what's a, what's a name that like, sort of, uh, sort of is, is unkind to the Jewish people? Well, don't call mm-hmm. it Israel and don't call it Judea. Let's call it after the, the, uh, the Philistines, okay? The Palestinians. So this is where the Palestinian or Palestinia came from. It came from the wow. Romans reaching back into history. Ironically, into biblical history, the Romans chose a term, <laughs> the Philistines, whom God had destroyed. But right. that was their choice. And so the wow. term Philistines comes from, I mean, Palestinian comes from, from the Philistines, and that's where the term comes from, and that's where we have today, 2,000 years later. Do evangelicals hate the Palestinians? Hi, I'm Carl Muller, Executive Director of the Joshua Fund, and welcome to this episode of Inside the Epicenter with Joel Rosenberg. Today, as so many evangelicals focus on Israel, we want to ask the question, what is the story of the Palestinians? And does God love them and have a plan for them as well? Joel I'm uh, excited to have this conversation with you today and to bring in your background and insight into understanding the Palestinians and their role both in God's plan and in the current situation in Israel. So welcome, Joel. Glad to have you on the podcast. Well, great to be with you, Carl, from the epicenter, from Jerusalem, on a topic that is, uh, which I wish wasn't a question that needed to be answer, answered, uh, but it does because it comes up a lot here in my life, here in the region, but also uh, around the world as I travel. And as people, evangelicals, uh, there are many who feel that there's an unfairness to the pro-Israel movement. And that's an, that is an important question for us to wrestle through. Yeah. So, Joel, before we get started on some of those things, it's just what is the history of the Palestinian people? I don't think that... Uh, too many Americans really understand the story, the background, and the history of the Palestinians. Sure. Well, it's a complicated history. It's a long history. And I want to start off by saying something that I hear not a lot, but too often. And that is uh, evangelicals who love Israel who say there is no such thing as a Palestinian. Well, okay, um, there are. (laughs) So... Let's talk about it. Let's take that piece alone, and then we'll try to break it out. In the modern era, the term Palestinian referred to any Jewish person or Arab who lived in this particular territory that we would call the Holy Land, maybe more broadly, right? 
the British took control of this territory because of the United Nations mandate at the, at the end of the Ottoman Empire, the, the collapse of the Islamic Caliphate uh, controlled from Istanbul by the country we now call as Turkey. But the Ottoman Empire was a huge and sweeping territory that went deep into Central Asia, all across the Middle East, all across North Africa, even up to Vienna in Europe. And at the end of that, at the end of World War One. Uh, and early in the 1920s, the Ottoman Empire was gone, and the United Nations put the British in charge of a large swath of this area, certainly the area known as Israel, the Palestinian Authority territories, Jordan, and so forth. Now, the British gave everybody a, an identity card. You're a Palestinian, they said, right? They didn't have any citizenship of any particular country. There was no country. There was no legal structure here except for the UN saying the British were in charge for a while until they figured out what to do next. Okay, And everybody's identity card said you're either a Palestinian Arab or you're a Palestinian Jew. Okay, That only changed once Israel declared itself a state on May 14th, 1948. Okay, Now, at that point, the Jewish Palestinians said – now we're Israelis. Now we have a national identity, a, a, a legal uh, identity, and that too was uh, part of the UN process. The UN voted on a partition plan. We're going to split the land. The Jews get this part. The Arabs get that part. The Jews said yes. Unfortunately, the Arabs said no, and there was a war, but Israel was legally created, and so Palestinian Jews became Israelis. So what did that leave? That left Palestinian Arabs. Now, backing up a bit, where did the term Palestinian come from? Well, the term was uh, really comes from the Roman era, um, predating the life of Christ, when the Romans conquered this region. You know, everybody wants to conquer this region, Carl, right? You know your history. and uh, <laughs> everybody, everybody wants to rule the world. Uh, maybe you can play a clip of that. And everybody wants to rule the Middle East go. and Jerusalem in particular. But anyway, that's another show, uh, another series of shows. But the Romans controlled this territory of the Holy Land for a long time. And the short version was they really hated the Jewish people in many ways, and they didn't want it being called Judea. Mm -hmm. uh, they certainly didn't want it to be called Israel. It wasn't a sovereign state at that point, mm -hmm. but they didn't even want it to be called Judea. And so they called it – they decided well, what's a name that sort of sort of is, is unkind to the Jewish people? Well, don't call mm -hmm. it Israel and don't call it Judea. Let's call it after the, uh, the Philistines, okay? The Philistines. So this is where the Palestinian or Palestinia came from. It came from the wow. Romans reaching back into history, ironically, into biblical history – the Romans chose a term, <laughs> the Philistines, whom God had destroyed. But right. that was their choice. And so the wow. term Philistines comes from – I mean Palestinian comes from the Philistines and that's where the term comes from and that's where we have today 2,000 years later. That's the short version. Wow, that's <laughs> – that's the short yeah. version. Two thousand years in history, in a nutshell. The, you know, the Palestinians as we currently know them, you know, have uh, this history, this nineteen forty eight on history that has caused a lot of conflict with Israel, and 
Obviously, the nuances of that are way beyond the scope of our podcast. But give our listeners a little bit of an insight into why does it seem, at least, that the Palestinians really hate Israel and have, uh, you know, at least from our popular understanding, an animosity towards the nation of Israel? Okay, so it's interesting because there's a couple ways to look at that. One, I need to say that predating the actual formal declaration of the state of Israel in 1948, there had been a series of of statements by the UN I just referred to, but also by the British government, which was in charge. The Balfour Declaration, something called the Peel Commission, the White Paper. There's a whole series of documents that the British were trying to figure out what was their policy towards the people of this area. And at one point, they basically wanted to be pro-Jewish. And so they said, we want to create a state for the Jewish people as long as it doesn't infringe upon the rights of the non-Jewish minority. Well, hmm. okay, well, that was nice. That, the Jews loved that. But, but Jews weren't the majority in this area at the time. Because of the prophecies of, from the Old Testament and from Jesus, Jewish people had been exiled all over the world under the Roman persecution of the Jews when they destroyed Jerusalem, j- destroyed the temple, killed a million Jews, and kicked the re- almost all the rest out. There was, there was a remnant. There's always been a remnant in Jerusalem in the area, but, but most had to leave. So in the late 1800s, Jews started to come back. They started to come back. There was about 35,000 in what was known as the first Aliyah, the first return to the land, about 35,000. By 1948, there were 600,000 Jews living here in Palestine, which was about to become Israel. Still, mm-hmm. there was a lot more Palestinian Arabs, most of whom were Muslims, but some were Christians, actually. But mm-hmm. the British were insensitive, let's say, in that. They were trying to make it, you know, they were trying to make a case to the Jewish people, but somebody once said it's like talking about the non-dandelion portion of the pasture. Like, it just sounded, it just was a <laughs> weird formulation, and it offended yeah. the people who lived here. Now, yes, you can make an argument mm. that, that Arabs are from Arabia, Right? That's true. <laughs> That's true. I'm mm-hmm. not making that up. That, right. But you can't say that there was nobody living here in the land. I've read that argument from Christians as well as others, uh, from Jews, but it's not true. I mean, there, there were people living here, and they'd been living here for a long, long time. They had deep roots. Mm-hmm. And so when the mm-hmm. Jews started to come in, for a while, some Palestinian Arabs were, were selling land and homes to the Jewish people, thinking, great. I mean, they weren't thinking of it as a problem. Make a buck, sell some land, whatever, sell a house. But as more and more came, they began to realize these people are coming back to set up a country. And that began to create uh, anger, animosity, and, uh, and, it, and it led to violence. Not with all Arabs, mm. but with, with certainly with, with bands of, of Palestinian Arabs who were also working with the Arab states in the region to oppose Jewish immigration – and certainly the creation of a Zionist or Jewish state based on the principle that God had once given this land to the Jewish people and that they had a biblical calling to come back and settle here. That was anathema to the Arab Muslims and even to many of the Arab Christians. But So those were two immovable forces 
that were going to come in together in a clash and clash they have. Yeah. And it, you can see how generational uh, this is, how the wounds and the hurts and the wars of this time have created entrenched animosity and hatreds. That's really been the story that I think most Americans know, that there's this deep hatred and and distrust. Well, and, and, but you mentioned and, the Christians. And sadly, yeah. there have been Palestinian leaders and fighters who have really defined, who tried to define what it means to be a Palestinian, right? The Palestinian yeah. word is a brand globally that ha- is synonymous in many minds with terrorism, right? The Palestine yeah. Liberation Organization, Yasser Arafat, uh, was not the founder, actually, of the PLO, but he he you know, fairly quickly took it over and mm-hmm. uh, pulled all the different Palestinian factions together, or almost all of them, into one big unhappy family, but nevertheless unified for the political goal of expelling Jews, destroying Israel, and setting up a Palestinian state that had nothing to do with Israel. And, uh, and you see Palestinian terrorism, we, we saw it most probably horrifically that it cut through was it at the Munich Olympics when a group yeah. of Palestinian terrorists kidnapped, you know, Israeli, you know, civilian athletes, athletes. and then mm-hmm. murdered them on live television, including blowing up the very plane that was supposed to take them all to an Arab country. And so the hijacking of airplanes, the use of terrorism, this became known as the Palestinian cause. Uh, Yasser Arafat himself once went to the United Nations with a pistol Strapped to his, uh, to his, you know, in, in, in a holster, wearing military fatigues, and of course his his uh, traditional and trademark kafia, his his, uh, his headscarf. Mm-hmm. Now that doesn't mean that all Palestinians have been violent, but I'm just saying that this has become the brand. And I think what's so sad is let's look at it from their perspective for a moment, not from the terrorist perspective, but from the Palestinian people's perspective. Right. They live here for centuries and centuries. They have their farms. They have their sheep. They have their goats. They, you know, they're doing their life. And a wave of people that they're not familiar with come in and say, this land is ours. Now, they, admittedly, they're buying the, most of the land. But still, they want to create a state. And the Jews always said, but you'll be safe and welcome in our state. And many of them were like, I don't want to be part of your state. Yeah. And so this has created enormous amount of tension. And the... What, what Israelis and Christians who love Israel call the 1948 war, we call it the War of Independence, right? But the Arabs call it al-Nakba, the catastrophe. Mm. And the Arabs have fought against Israel in 1948, 1956, 1967, 1973, wow. and so forth. And each time there are losses, right? People die. People are mm-hmm. wounded. And land that they thought was theirs has been taken into the Israeli Jewish community. So this has created, yeah, deep-seated resentment. Yeah. Well, it's a it's a, a challenge to anyone who loves Jesus as evangelicals to hold both of these things and to say, how can the love of Christ bring some reconciliation, some hope? We're going to take a quick break right now. Just before but we Joel, do, when we come just back, before we do, though, Carl, I have to let me answer the question in one sentence. No, evangelicals do not hate the Palestinians. I don't want to go to a break before we've at least answered the question. We set it up. Pal- evangelicals 
cannot, should not, and theologically are forbidden to hate our neighbors, but there are many challenges. Back to you. Very good point. And obviously, we want to manage to understand that a little bit deeper. So when we come back, we're going to talk about the hope and perhaps even the healing that Jesus can bring. This is Carl Muller, Executive Director of the Joshua Fund. After you're done listening to this episode, make sure to share this podcast with your friends and family. We're just getting started, and your help is critical to help others learn about how God is moving in the epicenter. So tell them about Inside the Epicenter with Joel Rosenberg and allow them to be encouraged as well. Okay, Joel, as we were talking last segment, you know, it just became really clear that both history and current circumstances and religion and family ties, all of this mixes up into such a troubling and um, difficult mix. How do Christians, in particular evangelicals, pray for hope and maybe even healing in this part of the world? Well, Carl, I think we have to begin by recognizing that both sides, the Jews and the Arabs, have what they the term here that's used a lot is narratives, right? They both have their case, their theological case, their historical case, their personal anecdotal case of why the other's wrong and that they're right. And you'd expect that. That's true in every conflict, whether it's a marriage or, you know, a nation. So mm. those are true. And I think to, to say that the way somebody feels is illegitimate, that's wrong. Right? Both sides are very wounded. I would, I would say that you almost have a I – mean, these are not good analogies, but I'm just going to reach for a few. These are abused children. These are battered wives. Both sides see themselves as minorities who've been terribly wronged. Right? Okay, so if you're Jewish, you see yourself as we were kicked out, well, we were massacred by the Romans, and then our city was burned down, our temple was burned down, and then we were driven into the world by the Romans 2,000 years ago. And we've been praying at every Passover next year in Jerusalem, bring us back, Lord. And then we went through all the other traumas of history, and then the Holocaust. And Hitler murdered six million of us and wanted to murder all of us. We are wounded. We were frightened. We had to get a state of our own to be safe. We couldn't trust any other country. And Israel was the land of our heritage. So people said, I'm going there. And I have to. I don't have any other choice, even if it's not theological, even if it's not ideological. For pure survival, I have to be in a state that's Jewish. Okay, That's the Jewish narrative. Defensive and rightly so because people were trying to annihilate us. Now, you're Palestinian. People came. All right, they bought up some tracts of land, but then they started taking it. And they started arming, and the British were going to give the whole thing away. And we were like, hey, whoa, wait a minute. What are you talking about? And then 
sometimes our, our Arab neighbors told us, we'll flee from your villages and towns and your homes, and then we'll destroy the Jews, and then you can come back and resettle. But then they lost, and then I lost everything, and now I'm in a refugee camp in southern Lebanon mm. or Jordan or you know wherever in, in Gaza or in the West Bank, Judea and Samaria. And I've been wronged. People took my house. They took my family. I lost family members. How dare they say that? You know they're the and now they're the Goliath and I'm the David. Both sides see you know Jews yeah. see themselves as seven million people in a sea of five hundred million yeah. Arab Muslims. That's true, but Palestinians say, yeah. "What are you talking about? We're like four million people, and you guys have maybe supposedly in the press nuclear weapons. You have F thirty five fighter jets. You have ballistic missiles. You have submarines. You have tanks. What are you talking about?" That, you're the aggrieved You're you the know, weak one. person. Mm-hmm. And we have no power. You occupy us. I just want to be clear because the first thing about praying is understanding what, how do these both sides feel. And there is legitimacy to both sides. And I would say this as somebody who, you know, I believe in the Bible prophecies. I believe in God's Abrahamic mm-hmm. covenant that he gave this land to the Jewish people. However, <laughs> these are real people. And they can't be, you know, you're not going to annihilate them. That would be horrible. You can't occupy them. You can't imprison them. You, they need human rights. They need civil rights. So how do you do that? And yeah. the Joshua Fund is not here to try to figure out the correct political formula to create the peace plan. But as evangelicals, we, we're commanded by Jesus, first of all, to love our neighbor. The Palestinians are my neighbors. I'm literally here in Jerusalem. The Palestinians are literally my, er, my neighbors. So people, But I have many Christians who say, they're not neighbors, they're enemies. Okay, well, Jesus said, love your enemies. Oh, come on, Joel. I mean, that, that covers everybody. You're either a neighbor <laughs> or you're an enemy. Like, where does that leave me? It leaves right. me with loving them. Yeah, but I don't understand how. Okay, well, that's different. How to love a neighbor how to love a neighbor or an enemy, that's different from not doing it. And it's interesting that Jesus doesn't buy into the narrative concept. In other words, he doesn't let you say, my narrative is different from their narrative, so I don't have to love them. When Jesus says, love your enemies, he's not saying, no, look, okay, they're not enemies. They're misunderstood. They're slightly different from you in terms of their perspective. But the, no, no, no. He's like, if you define them as an enemy, fine. Like, but you still have to love them. Well, that's impossible. Well, it is impossible outside of the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit transforming us and teaching us how to love like Jesus did. So the first thing is to understand the conflict to some degree. You take a lifetime to understand it all. But the second thing is to acknowledge what Jesus said in the Word. Remember the first podcast we did about what is an evangelical? Well, we treat the word of God, the Bible, as our highest authority. So if the Bible says love your neighbor, and it does many times, and love your enemy, and it does many times, yeah. that's it. Like, we don't have some third option. That's it. The question becomes yeah. how. And so one of the best ways is to start praying, Lord, I don't know how to solve this conflict, but I'm praying for peace, and I pray for these for the Palestinian people who have... They've been gypped in certain ways. They feel that way anyway, and they feel 
aggrieved and harmed, and they feel like that's still happening. So I don't understand it all, mm. but Lord, show them mercy and show me how to even strengthen and encourage at least the Palestinians who love Jesus, who love you, Lord. How can I help them? How can I come alongside them? I, let me baby step my way forward into this conflict, but starting in prayer. Yeah. Well, I certainly resonate with that because, you know, when you look at something that seems impossible, that's intractable, that can't change on a human level, at least that's the way it feels. And I know we have a lot of different perspectives out there on whether it can change or not on a human level. But, for example, when we pray, we enlist the powers of heaven that are way beyond our ability to understand anything that's happening on a human level. And I'm also really encouraged uh, when I hear you speak about the way that Jesus addressed the Palestinians of his day, the Samaritans. He met a Samaritan woman at the well and shared with her that he was living water. Um, He gave freely in a context that was not too dissimilar from the relationship between the Jews and the Palestinians And very confusing to the Jews the Jewish disciples were like, what are you being nice to her for? Like, that's exactly. so scrambled their brains. Like, I don't understand. What? They're the enemy. Exactly. And I, I feel that sometimes, you know, with the Joshua Fund, because we are saying a very similar thing, I would say, as Jesus is saying to both those that are supporters of Israel and those that uh, whose heart breaks, uh, as ours does, for the plight of the Palestinian people, um, that that confusion is rooted in maybe a misunderstanding about God's love. God's love is limitless and unfathomable. And I just love the way the Joshua Fund has reached into some of these situations and tried to act like Jesus, to be the hands and feet of Jesus in those situations. Maybe some situations that come to your mind about the way that that Christians, maybe through the Joshua Fund, have helped bring some of that hope and healing. Yeah, I'm happy to talk about that. Wow. One of the things that we, we've done a number of things. Let's just pick a few. One of the things we've done is we've held a series of conferences around, uh, well, here in Israel, uh, in Jerusalem, and, and around the world called Epicenter Conferences. And I know that in the course of doing the podcast, we will be occasionally playing messages that I or others who have spoken at these conferences have addressed. One of the things that we did, I believe it was at our first one, I'm pretty sure 2008, we thought, you know, we believe in Israel and her neighbors. We want to love both. We want to bless both. It's challenging. But we ought to have a Palestinian speak. And so we invited a man who used to be a bodyguard for Yasser Arafat, a Palestinian man mm-hmm. by the name of Tas Sada, uh, originally from Jericho. He had been a sniper. He'd written a book called Once an Arafat Man. And I had actually done the foreword to his book. And I thought, you know what? Here's a Palestinian, and he believes in loving both sides. So he's somebody that, you know, me, who 20 years ago worked for Netanyahu, and this guy, you know, 20 years ago or whatever it was, worked for Arafat. That's kind of an interesting story. So we invited him. Well, I think that was a good idea. (laughs) But, you know, Carl, one of the things I've learned about living here, and, and I wasn't even living here then, but traveling in and out, living here now, is there's so many ways to step on a landmine. Hmm. Okay, well, and, I, and that's true physically, but it's also true metaphorically. And in this case, while our heart was right, and this man, you know, he's a legit Palestinian, and he really 
does believe in Jesus and he came to faith. He was a Muslim and he came to faith in Jesus very dramatically. And that was good. But the landmine part that I didn't see, because I looked at that, I thought, that seems good. Right? And I prayed about it. I'm not our team did, but what we didn't realize was to every other Palestinian, almost, Tasada was a problem. Because he'd not only mm. converted from Islam to Christianity, a good thing, but he had become essentially, essentially a Zionist. That he believes that Israel has the right to be in this country, and he believes all these prophecies, and he's very outspoken about it. That's one mm. of the reasons I like him. But as I began to get to know other Palestinian Christians, they said, listen, Joel, come on. That is not really yeah. a fair representative. We're not asking you to invite a, an actual terrorist or even a Palestinian Muslim mm-hmm. to your epicenter conferences as you teach people about God's love for both sides and how to strengthen the church. But you should at least invite a non-Zionist Palestinian right, who loves Jesus but and doesn't want war with Israel but isn't – Sort of an outspoken, you know. So Toss is still a friend, and I've worked with him on other projects and things. But I'm just saying that was one of those ones where like, hmm, okay, I need to go build more friendships with a wider range of Palestinians, right? So the next thing I did was, I don't really know that many Palestinians. That's sort of my fault, <laughs> right? I met some political leaders and some advisors, what about yeah. But there's a whole group of Palestinian Christians. How do I get to know them? Well, I began to strike up a friendship. Well, no, I spoke. So I I was invited to speak at a conference called Back to Jerusalem. And these were Arab Christians, both Israeli Arab and Palestinian Arabs, who wanted to host a conference in Jerusalem. It's called Back to Jerusalem about the importance of bringing the gospel and Bible teaching back to the land where it's not well known but it, it did come from here, right? So I got invited to speak at this conference. I was the only Jewish person to speak, at, a Jewish believer in Jesus to speak at the conference. But there I met the chairman of the Council of Palestinian Evangelical Churches, a man named uh, Reverend Munir Hakish. Very lovely man, um, yeah. 20-some years older than me, a wise man, grew up in Ramallah, the current capital of uh, the West Bank, the, the Palestinian Authority. And he asked me to come get some lunch because he was curious about me. And then he said, would you come preach in Ramallah at my congregation? I'm like, now, to me, the name Ramallah was a name of a, like a bastion, a, a nest of trouble between Israel and the Palestinians in, in not that recent history at that time. And that was true, but it wasn't true at that moment. And he said, no, 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 you'll be safe. You'll be under my protection. And, and look, but I think it'd be good for you to come and share. Yeah. I thought, well, if I really believe this wow. stuff, I guess I should come and share. So I did. And I wasn't, you know, I wasn't hanged. I wasn't crucified. But to tie that up, I began to realize as I got to know Munir that... He was the first non-Zionist Palestinian. I knew some others, I, uh, but he's the first that I knew. Like there was a guy named Musab Hassan Yusuf. Now Musab became very famous because he was a radical Muslim Palestinian from the West Bank whose father was the head of Hamas, the main mm. radical Islamist jihadist terror group in our part of the world. 
<laughs> yes. But Musab converted to Christ, faith in Christ, and became an, um, even a spy for Israel against Hamas. In Hamas. So it's an incredible story. Well, I got to know him, did events with him. But again, my Palestinian friends were starting to say, that's, okay, that's something. Now you know too. <laughs> but come on, that's not our normal life. So anyway, so just to wrap that up. I, More typical. I, I, I realized that um, Palestinians who love Jesus have a case when they say that those of us who love Israel don't know them. We don't know their stories. Maybe we know a couple famous Palestinian Christians, but we don't really know their day-to-day life. And we haven't bothered to get to know it. And I went, as I heard mm. that argument, I thought, I'm guilty. <laughs> I don't want to be guilty, but I am. How do I fix that? How do I fix being guilty of not getting to know the very... I mean, I, I actually had one Palestinian Christian who... I heard through a grapevine was very mad at me. I went and had lunch with him, and he said, Joel, you have never invited me to, you've never come to my home to eat. So I don't mm-hmm. hardly even know you. That's a big deal. And uh, he goes, why didn't you invite yourself over to eat? I said, well, brother, I, in our culture, inviting yourself over is not a thing you do in America. Like that's, he goes, Jesus did it. What are you talking about? When he came to Jericho, where I live, he said, Jesus saw Zacchaeus. He said, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. I said, okay, brother, I never, it never dawned on me that that was the takeaway. I did, I, you know, I live in Washington at that time. I, I didn't. So anyway, I began to, I basically invited myself through Munir to a breakfast of Palestinian Christian leaders, pastors. And I came to them. I said, guys. I'm guilty. I didn't mean to be. I'm not trying to. But I've come here a lot, and I've never gotten to come to see you, get to know you. I want to apologize. Could we start a process? Teach me. I'm not saying you're going to convert me into other things that maybe I don't believe, but maybe I don't know everything in terms of the life that you live. I'm sure of that. Help me. And there were some very mm. hostile people in that room. I was sort of the poster child. You're not just Jewish. But you work for Netanyahu, and you're an evangelical, and you believe in these prophecies. But they accepted my apology. I'm sorry that's a long-winded answer. I'll stop there. There's more, of no, course. That's... But that was the beginning of the process for me. You know, it's those stories that, that give us you know, a flavor and a texture of the real on-the-ground situation between Israel and the Palestinians and Christians and Jews and Muslims. And I'm so blessed to have seen that happen in the Joshua Fund. Joel, talk a little bit about you know some of the ways that you know we're connected with pastors in uh, the Palestinian areas, and some of the ways that those pastors today are are being blessed um, and being encouraged as well. We'll talk a little bit about Israel in, in a minute, but what's happening through the Joshua Fund on the on the uh, Palestinian side? Well, it was interesting. About ten years ago or so, uh, Carl, um, a group of Israeli Jewish pastors said, you know, we don't have an annual Bible conference where we can just come and study the Word of God together as the whole national body. You know, there's only about 300 congregations on the Israel Jewish side, and so it's not like 
I mean, in America, you couldn't gather all believers, all pastors into, you know, one conference, uh, even if you rented out, you know, the Superdome or something. But you can here in Israel. And so they said, you should do it. So we started planning things. We, I mean, we would never have had the chutzpah, the, uh, the temerity to say, all right, let's just do that. But, but having been invited to do it, we thought, well, that, okay, we'd love to find a way to bless, refresh, encourage the Israeli pastors and their wives. We said, okay, we'll do it, but, but the wives have to be able to come. We'll cover all the costs. We'll rent a hotel, come for two and a half, three days, whatever, study the word, worship, prayer, fellowship, but you got to come together, husband and wife. Okay. But we thought, well, we can't do one without the other. Like, what about our Palestinian brothers? We're just beginning this relationship, but don't they need refreshment? Don't they need encouragement? They might need it more than the Israelis. I mean, both sides would argue over that point, but... Uh, if we're loving Israel and our neighbors, shouldn't we make this available? But why would the Palestinian Christian leadership say, oh, yeah, let's have Joel Rosenberg and the Joshua Fund come and bless us? Like, so we started having this conversation with Munir, who was the chairman of the whole council of all the Palestinian evangelical pastors and ministry leaders and so forth. And he said, well, yeah, it's, it would be an interesting needle to thread, but we certainly need it and we certainly don't have the funds to do it. It would have to be devoid of all politics. You can't talk about politics. We're not talking about the land. We're not talking about the conflict. We're talking about Jesus. We're talking about the word. We're doing worship. Joel, you have got to be on your best behavior. We can't, oh, let's have a big conversation about, you know, Bibi Netanyahu or I don't know, whatever, Ariel Sharon. Or mm. It's either you're here to help us and encourage us and refresh us or it's going to be bad. It's going to be ugly and it'll be mm. bad for a long time. So we said, well, you help us design this thing. Let's, if the council will host it, we'll fund it and we'll, we'll bring the teachers and we'll put it together. But, but it's got to be – got to work together on this. So it's right. And he, he liked that idea. He took it back to the council. It took, it took some time. Well, it was all set. It was all ready to happen in a somewhat of a hotbed of radical Islamism in the West Bank, a city known in the north of the West Bank known as Janine. Okay. There's a big refugee camp there and so forth. Well, we started having the Israeli conference, and just as the Israeli pastor's conference kicked in, we call it Preach the Word, Shepherd the Flock. That's the theme, right? Mm. Well, as the first conference started, a rocket war erupted between Israel and the Hamas terrorist group in Gaza. And there's rockets flying and war is breaking out. And our friends in Israel say there is no way that you guys should wander into the West Bank right now and go have some conference. That's a dangerous idea. It's a bad idea. So I called Munir and I said, listen, you know, the counsel we're getting here is that, you know, it's probably best for you guys, best for us not to do this. He said, what are you talking about? If there was ever a time, Joel, to stand with us, not for politics, but to help us in a time of, and, and just be with us in a time of crisis, this is it. Carl, I'm going to get a little emotional here. Uh, I don't mean to go all Oprah Winfrey on you, but um, that was as close to a Macedonian call as I've ever had. In this case, it was a, a Ramallah call. This was a brother mm. saying, I, I believe you, Joel, and I believe that Joshua and that you guys love us. But in the middle of a war, that is the time to come and just be with us and pray with wow. us and have fellowship with us and study the word of God together because it's the only source of peace. <laughs> and we, had, we were like, 
okay. We prayed about it, and we felt peace from God, uh, peace from our wives who were not on that trip, and we went. And a very small group of Palestinian pastors were willing to come to that first one. But I will tell you, over the course of the years that followed, a lot of trust was built, slow and steady. And now somewhere north of 95% of the Palestinian pastors and ministry leaders that there are attend the annual conference. And again, this is for them. It's not for us. It's for them. But, right. And therefore, we have met a lot of amazing people who love Jesus. And there's a lot of stories that we have to learn to hear them and, and understand their plight and their struggles and their joys. Uh, they're wonderful, wonderful, dear brothers and sisters. And I regret not having started sooner. Mm, wow. What a lesson. What a, what a powerful picture of what the love of Jesus motivating hearts can do to build bridges. That's beautiful, Joel. I know it's been the most encouraging thing for me to see is the way in which um, politics is left behind when we focus on the Word of God and on the Son of God. Uh, When we bring that hope um, with us, uh, the doors open and the hearts open. I'm, I'm blessed by that. Joel, what what would you say for evangelicals in America from what we've what we've learned about well first of all <laughs> evangelicals don't hate Palestinians do I, I want that to be clear they do some, not some we do use not. language that's disrespectful and condescending mm. and harsh and I've you know I encourage people to fix that change that that is not the, the tone or heart of Christ you're not being a better friend to yeah. Israel by being disrespectful not just of the Palestinian Christians but of the Palestinian people they're people God loves them and so must we. Yeah, amen. Joel, what would be the one thing you would leave in the minds of our listeners about Israel and the Palestinians in today's evangelical mind? Well, I think that uh, the most important thing, Carl, is that we not see this conflict or God's heart towards the people of this region as either or. Okay, mm. Either he loves Israel and the Jewish people or he loves the Arab Palestinians. That is too often the way American and international evangelicalism plays out. I don't know that it's always conscious. I think it, people just fall into a rut. They either you know, are sympathetic towards one side or the other, and they, they want to go down that road, and they don't really think about when they're speaking. What if, a, if they love Israel, they don't think about it. What if a Palestinian Christian was sitting right in front of me in my congregation? So... Joshua, fun. We we talk about all the time. You do, I do. Our team does that. God is not an either or God. He's a both and God. Now that doesn't take away that we believe that there are some specific things that God has done through the Abrahamic covenant to create a nation and a people and and a land, a grant and a covenant. But God didn't say, and therefore. Because of the Abrahamic covenant, you can hate the other side. In fact, the Abrahamic covenant ends with, and all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Right. So that has to include the Palestinian families, right? And so I hope that, look, I know most of our listeners 
um, in North America or around the world, you, you know, most, especially during COVID, but hopefully this will, this too will pass and hopefully people will come back to the region. But look, it's very difficult. You're, you're unlikely to, for most people to be able to have a chance and come and do what we get to do, which is, this is what we do for our calling in life is to spend a lot of time having a lot of coffee and baklava and falafels and hummus with our friends in the Palestinian side and the Israeli side. Mm-hmm. So most people don't get to do that. Maybe the once-in-a-lifetime you know, prayer and vision trip and to see the land. But, but the Joshua is there because this is what we do every day. And we want to be a trusted resource for people who love the people of this country and say, I, I want to be helpful. I just don't know how I would personally do it. And in that case, I would say there's, there's – I always say there's four things you can do. Learn – Pray, give, and go. Now, right now, you can't go, or in this case, you can't come. At some point, you will, and in fact, we'd love to have you on the Josh Fund as we try to figure out when's the next time we can have a tour. But you can learn. That's what you're doing now with the podcast. You can pray for both sides, that God would have mercy, and that he would strengthen the church in particular. And you can give. You can give financially, and you can give this a link to this podcast and to the Joshua Fund website and whatever to, you know, we could share it with friends. That's a way to give other people a chance to learn, pray, give and go. And we'd of course love to get people involved so, and we'll keep teaching and keep sharing with you the stories from both sides as the Lord gives us the, us the great joy that we wish we could, you know, literally bring everybody into this house. But even if every evangelical who wanted to get to know it, we, you know, we can't, you know, it's just, this is a small country and there's a small body of believers on both sides, it would actually be overwhelming to them if every church and every pastor who wanted to come and be a blessing called up and said, we're coming to visit you. It's just too much. You can't possibly do it. They don't mean to be rude, but so the Joshua is that mutual fund way of, it's a way to to be a blessing without, you know, sort of uh, (laughs) causing the circuits to break (laughs) over here. Right, right. Well, Joel, I, I can speak, uh, I think, for so many of our listeners that this has been an, an incredibly inspirational and educational episode. I want to thank you for giving us personal insights and the stories and the history of the relationship between evangelicals, Israel, and the Palestinians. On behalf of Joel Rosenberg, I'm Carl Muller, and thank you for listening to this episode of Inside the Epicenter with Joel Rosenberg. I'd encourage you to take the opportunity to go to our website at joshuafund.com and uh, go to the podcast section right there on the website and and leave us your comments about what this episode has meant to you and and maybe how you can pray and will be praying for to bless Israel and her neighbors in the years and days ahead. So, hey, thank you all for listening. Appreciate it. And God bless you. Thank you. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. God invites us to cultivate thankful hearts by turning our eyes toward Him in good times and bad. To listen to more Abide Christian Meditations, just go to lifeaudio.com or search your favorite podcast app for Abide Christian Meditation. You can also download the Abide app for more biblical meditations at abide.com.